Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I am Josh Spector. I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on, asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies you can put to use. And that's what typically goes on on this show, but Today is going to be a special episode. It's going to be one of my flip the script episodes, where instead of having someone come on and ask me the questions, I have brought on somebody that I want to learn from and somebody that I admire and is quite the expert. And I am going to ask them the three questions. So this should be fun. Today, that person is Jay Klaus. You probably know or have seen Jay because I swear he is everywhere. Jay is the founder of Creator Science. Through its newsletter, podcast, membership, and YouTube channel, Creator Science will help you become a smarter creator. He previously led the community experience team for Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income, designing their paid membership community and cohort-based course programs. So with that in mind, hey, Jay, welcome to the show. What's up, Josh? Excited to be here. And thanks to you for the shout out in your recent episode when you guys were talking about gardening. That was a fun one. I listened to that <laughs> yeah. last month. Yeah, Rochelle. No, it was it was great. Thank you. And and like I said, Jay, it's funny because when I wanted to have Jay on, I realized like I could literally talk to him about a million different topics because he's got podcasts and YouTube and courses and memberships and all kinds of stuff. But where I really wanted to focus this episode is we're going to talk a lot about membership and community and paid membership. Jay has one called The Lab, which I joined recently. It is amazing. To be perfectly honest, it is the only community really that I have joined, certainly like paid membership. It's really good. And I think he's done a great job building it, selling it, running it. And so I really want to dive into all of those things with him about how he's done it and also tips and advice for how other people could do it. Again, both paid or free community. So before I get to my specific questions, Jay, let's start. Just give people a little context for what The Lab is in case they haven't heard of it. The Lab is a paid membership community for professional creators. And it's a pretty broad spectrum of folks we have in there. We have folks who are relatively early stage and we have folks that are generating in the millions of dollars of revenue. So it's it's diverse in that way. It's gotten more towards like the the professional end over time, which has been really awesome because we get into some like pretty nuanced, specific conversations in there and support in a lot of ways, which which has just been awesome. One thing that I did that's a little bit different is pretty much from the beginning, I had an explicit limit on the number of members that I would allow in there at any given time. And that was mostly due to something I'm sure we'll dig into, the time requirements that operating this membership put on me. And I felt like at a certain level, I would not be able to sustain the same amount of input from me into the membership. And I thought the experience would probably change a little bit too. So we have a 200 member cap, which we are currently at, and I feel good about the decision. But that's a, yeah. that's a lab in, in a nutshell. Cool. Great. So let's get to the first thing I want to ask you is let's say that someone is listening to this. They were watching it on YouTube, hopefully. They have a loyal audience of a few thousand people in whatever niche that they're in. So they're thinking about, should I start a community, a membership, paid or unpaid, whatever? 
and you've done a lot of this. So I want to start with like, give me three reasons why they should start a paid membership and then give me three reasons why they should not start a paid membership. Can I go in the reverse order? Can I do the yes, cons you can. before sure. the pros? Okay. Yeah, please do. So some reasons not to do it. The first one is it's really hard to do community well. Building something that's a peer-to-peer space where the value that you are promising and the value proposition of the space is based on peer-to-peer interaction, that's just very hard to do well because you can't fully control it. You have to foster it and help it take form, but it's out of your control. And so it's, it's really hard to get that working. And to get that working, it takes a lot of time. So I'm bucketing that into one reason. It's hard to do well. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. Another reason not to do a membership is it's never done. Like you, you build a really great digital product. You can iterate on it and make it better. And you can know every time somebody purchases that thing, they're going to have a consistent, high quality experience. In a community, again, where the value is peer to peer, there's no done. Like you, you hope that the, the quality of the experience stays high over time. But you really have to just continue making it a great place. So you can't really coast. You can't just say like, okay, now the the membership is at a place where it's just good and humming along. It's easy for things to go in the reverse direction and get worse. And so it's it's just a difficult product to sustain successfully over time Mm -hmm. as well. That's reason number two. Number three, it's really hard to make the numbers work in a way that you don't grow to resent the space. This is one of the biggest issues I see with creators who are in this this phase of, I have a few thousand followers or highly engaged fans. They think, well, I will throw them at a digital community space and charge some amount of money on a monthly basis or annual basis. And they don't run the numbers first. So what happens is they do all this work to set it up. They price it at, say, $20 per month and 20 people sign up. And now you're making $400 per month with a lot mm-hmm. of work. And for a lot of people, that wasn't what they imagined and they quickly feel like it isn't incentivizing them to put the work in that's necessary. So you really have to play around with the levers up front of how much am I going to charge for this so that it makes sense for me to sustain it. And I also believe that my audience can bear that and that they will mm-hmm. join to some minimum degree. So hard to do well, never done, difficult to make the numbers work. Those are the reasons not to do a membership. Yeah, I love that. So before we jump into the reasons to do it, I want to highlight or or add to two of the things that you said. So I think one, one of the things that I see a lot is this misconception that a community is about them connecting to you, the leader of the community, right? Like, oh, I'm going to start a membership. And it'll be a way for people to get access to me. And that is definitely a part of it. Like you are certainly there, but it's really important to go into it, understanding that it is, like you said, peer to peer. And that is much different, I think, for most creators than almost everything else they're doing, which they've built these businesses about selling their expertise in some way. This is totally different. That leads to the sort of second thing that I wanted to highlight was I think a lot of people Maybe a little less so now, but certainly in the past couple of years, I think this was a big thing. It's like they don't really want a community. They want recurring revenue. Mm, So they look at it and they go, oh, well, if I start a community, that's a way to get me get people to pay me 10, 20, 50, 100 dollars every month. But they're not actually excited to create a community of people who are connecting to each other. They're more excited about like, oh, I'm tired of just like the roller coaster ride of I launch a product and I sell a bunch and then there's a dip and I don't. 
And so I think that's really important. I would say that if your main motivation for this is the recurring revenue stream, probably not a great idea. And I think that also leads them into the trap that you mentioned, where suddenly they do this thing and they're making $400 a month and it's not enough to justify what it takes to do. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree with all the things you said. And I think all three of those things are reasons why I haven't really launched my own community because I get asked all the time and I'm like, you know what? Seems like a lot of work and it is. There definitely is some precedent for having more of a premium content membership, though. And I would mm-hmm. I would think of them very different as what we've talked about so yeah, far. That's a good like, point. There is definitely a membership where the value proposition is not peer-to-peer connectivity. It's mm-hmm. this is the only way that you receive this type of product experience, content, et cetera. And that's a lot easier to sustain. I think it's yeah. harder to to turn the same level of revenue, but mm-hmm. It's, it's easier to sustain. Well, yeah, and I think I'm glad you brought that up because we should clarify some of the terms. I think really what we're talking about here is there's, it's the difference between a subscription product and a community product. Right, yes. So like my skill sessions, I actually, it is a subscription. There's an annual subscription and you get access to six workshops a year. That is a subscription product. That is not a community product. There's no message board. There's no day-to-day sort of thing. I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that's important to understand that there are subscription products can generate recurring revenue that don't have all the sort of challenges that you just mentioned of community. Now, that also leads us into they don't have some of the pros of a community. So let's Let's shift now to the three reasons why someone should start a community membership. So when it's done well and it's working, that makes you very self-sufficient as a creator. It's pretty great to say my main source of revenue is directly from my biggest supporters in, Mm -hmm. in my audience. That's awesome because sponsorship and my business could go away tomorrow. The royalties that I collect from courses I did a long time ago could go away. Digital product sales could go away. I yep. could sustain my business and even my lifestyle at this point from the revenue just from the membership and keeping that good. If I if I made a good enough experience that people renewed and stayed in the membership, then I'd be fine ongoing. So that's reason number one that I like it. Reason number two, after you've been creating for a while, you, you start to recognize some people in your audience who engage with you more than others. But you, you can wonder, like, who's really out there paying close attention? Who's benefiting from this the most? And I've, I found mm-hmm. a really magical thing about having this membership is the people who are paying closest attention and really want to work with you closer self-select in. And so anytime that I have some extra time and space in my day to support my, my audience... I put it into the lab. I will go and record some like over my shoulder video of how I did a certain thing and post it in the lab because those are the people who have raised their hand and said, hey, we really, really value what you're doing. We want more help and support from you. So that's awesome. It's this amazing filter mm-hmm. and signal for who are my biggest supporters and the people that this, this work is impacting the most. And then third, it's an amazing feedback loop. Like I learn a lot about my customers from the membership. I learn a lot mm-hmm. about their problems and what what could turn into content, like something I could write an essay about. It could be mm-hmm. spurred by a topic that comes up in the community. Anytime that I want to get feedback on something I'm thinking about for my business or an early version of a paid product, I can go here first and say, hey, what do you think about this? And because the people in the membership, as we've established, are already some of your biggest supporters, they have more context about me and my business than most people. They make an amazing sounding board because not only do they have a lot of context, but 
they also are consumers of the work, which is awesome. So it creates this really fast, really tight feedback loop with your biggest fans too. And I think a couple things that I would add to that in a closed community environment, because a lot of people that are in your lab, for example, are people that you and I have both connected with on Twitter and you have interactions on Twitter, but in that closed environment, everyone is way more open and way more transparent. It's been very interesting to see because there's so many people in there that I also connect with on Twitter. It's kind of like the community is also out there on Twitter, but within this closed environment, you're seeing a much deeper level of what they're actually doing, what, you know, what's working, what's not working, what they're concerned about. So I think that if you're starting community, you're creating a space to have those sort of deeper level conversations. The other thing I would say, and and I haven't told you this, but, you know, to be honest, it was one of the reasons I decided to join the lab as someone who just has not really joined a lot of paid communities before was I realized that my audience was in that, in your community as well. And that I could start my own and try to attract what would be lots of these same people and build and get all the advantages you just said of doing so. But also it's a lot of work and there's all that other stuff too. Or I could go in, join your group. I don't hijack a community is is a bad way of saying it, but go in there, connect with people, provide value to them, build those relationships and get a lot of the benefits of a community that you have set up without having to build and maintain and manage and attract and sell my own. And I think for, for again, it, it seemed very obvious to me before I joined, but I had never really thought about it that way before, yeah. right? Yeah. I had always been like, well, I can build my own community or not have a community. And I was like, wait a second, there's such an overlap in you and I and how our sort of niche and how we see the world. I was like, this guy has built the perfect thing that I would try to build. So why am I going to try to build a competing thing? Why don't I just go in there and become a part of that? And and it has. And I think even in my own mind, whatever I'm going to pay for the annual subscription, I basically get a community. And this goes back to it being peer to peer as opposed to, I don't need a community that is about me. I just need a community that exists. And And I don't know if you've thought about it that way. And obviously you haven't had a problem selling it. It's filled and all of that. But I do think, at least for me, it was a real tipping point for me to join because I realized, like, why would I go build my own thing? Like, this exists, right? And so, I think that's- And it has played out that way. I've made relationships. I've gotten sales and collaborations and all sorts of stuff. And I don't go, by the way, to anyone that's listening to this, I'm not saying go and join a community and go in there and just start spamming your stuff. Like- I'm genuinely helping people and wanting to connect with people. So that don't take the wrong lesson from this, I guess is my point. Totally. It's a good insight. It's 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 one of those things that I know to be true, but um, mm-hmm. you also don't necessarily want to market because it, it right. changes potentially the changes who you attract, like yeah. what comes in and stuff. Same with we've had a lot of I mean, a lot of the folks in there still offer services to some degree. Also, mm-hmm. there's been such an exchange of support in the form of like contract and freelance work through it as mm-hmm. well that yeah I, I there are a ton of people who have joined who send me a message in the first couple of months and are like hey this just paid for itself because I just worked with so-and-so on yeah. this type of project and it was amazing and that's awesome but again something that I want people to discover I, I can't right. certainly can't like promise and don't want to market right. but I think that's a really right. good insight and like I said it's not going to work that way if you just go in there trying to get whatever out of it like I'm in there because I want to connect with those people but it's more like why do I need to spend all the time and effort like it exists and I think for people understanding when you're in that moment of trying to decide do I start a community or not you should at least look around and go like 
does the community I would want to be a part of exist or do I need to start it? And in some niches, you may need to start it. In other niches, you may not. Cool. So let's get to the next question I have for you. The lab's been really successful both for you and its members. But I think when it comes to this stuff, selling a community and a paid membership and having a community deliver value to people are really two different things. So I'd be curious, what do you think has been the key to your ability to get people to join? And then what has been the key to it being successful and valuable to people once they're in it? Well, in the beginning, the key to getting people to join was just like the the years of trust and goodwill I had built with a small number of people. Mm-hmm. And so those people joined early because they thought, well, what Jay's doing is probably going to be good. Mm-hmm. From there, it was like public momentum, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like the, the people in the membership had a good enough experience that they would talk about it. They would tell their friends. I would say that probably half the people who chose to join heard about it on Twitter versus elsewhere, or at least were kind of pushed over the edge on Twitter because the value proposition is peer-to-peer. And if I see publicly that somebody that I already know and admire or would love to get to know better has chosen to join this community, that's a real selling point for me to want to join. So momentum was a big part of it. Yeah, I thought you did. By the way, I thought you did a great job with that. Like, I know it influenced me. Like, this steady stream of, oh, this person just joined, and I'm so excited this person just joined, and I'm just watching and going like, well, but I'm like that person, and that guy's smart, and I'd like to get to know that woman better. And and that sort of steady drumbeat, which, again, I think was really smart, that a lot of your tweets and quote-unquote marketing about the community was about who was in it versus, hey, I just posted a video about X, Y, and Z. You would do that sometimes, I think, but it wasn't like you were selling your expertise as the hook to draw to join the community. You were selling the community itself, which I thought was really smart and effective. I think it's a good marketing strategy generally because most mm-hmm. of the time, almost never when I actually tweeted about the lab, did I have any link or real pitch about it. It was just mm-hmm. telling the story of what was happening and and the the progress that we were making. And then inevitably, people who are in the lab who are having a good experience would often reply. Sometimes they would quote, retweet it. So that, that was really good. But I think that works for any product you're selling. Instead of pitching the products, pitch the results that other people are having or the experience other people yeah. are having. And that's that's pretty successful, I think. And also tell people who who may not know or may not have seen like what happened in the last month, because of your cap, you had a huge, as you got closer to the cap, like I think it was February, yeah. right? You had like a massive number of signups. Uh, they created that sort of scarcity and urgency, which I also think was really smart. Yeah. Well, first in September, I raised the price once and mm-hmm. I gave people, it was at least two weeks, maybe even three weeks warning that the price was raising. So previous to February, September was the highest month of new members mm-hmm. and revenue before that. And so Definitely urgency in that in that case worked yeah. in my favor. In February, because I already had the cap, I was just updating folks like, okay, well, we're at 100 and I think I started talking about it like 150 something members or 75% the way there. And then people would join and I would say, okay, well, we only have 30 spots left. And then that would change. I say, okay, we, we only have 20 spots left. You know, I was just kind of updating on that mm-hmm. until the point where literally the it was Valentine's Day. We were getting really close to the the final number. I was at a hockey game with my mm-hmm. wife and somebody would join and I just add to the thread like, okay, there are three spots left. So it, it, the closer we got, I, I think scarcity played a role for sure. 
But here's where I think that's this is even more interesting. Now that we have the cap and we have 200 members in there, I turned it to a wait list and we have three dozen people or more on the wait list already. Wow. And so, so far this month, this is the first month where people could choose to renew or not. It's a year old mm -hmm. in March of this year. We've had one person cancel their membership. So we've got one yeah. spot that's going to open with a few dozen people on the wait list who want to mm -hmm. join. I think it's going to be really good for retention for folks who have already yeah. joined because it, it would be difficult to get back in, to be honest, if, if people yeah. chose to leave. And as a business owner, it's actually, that's what brings me a lot of comfort and security is knowing that, okay, if I look at this product is an annual recurring subscription, I don't have a monthly option. Mm -hmm. So if I look at my ARR, I know how much money I will generate this year in the current state. And mm -hmm. if people leave, it's actually only going to increase because once we hit the cap, I raised each membership tier $500 also. So mm -hmm. I know that I know what I'm going to earn from the membership this year at a baseline. But chances are yeah. it's actually going to get get higher. And I would prefer that the people who are there choose to stay because, yeah. again, this is a peer-to-peer -peer product. A lot of people have built relationships. A lot of people's value they tie to the membership then is in the relationships they have to other people. If those people choose to mm -hmm. leave, then I need to make sure the experience is still compensating for that value that was lost. But generally, I would just be totally fine if everybody chose to renew yeah. indefinitely. Yeah. And you also know with that wait list that, you know, because no matter how great it is, everything's going to have some percentage of churn, no matter how small that percentage is. But that wait list also, it's, I don't want to say it makes the churn meaningless, but it makes the churn meaningless unless you have massive churn, right? Because you're like, okay, well, you know, a handful of people are going to leave because a handful of people are always going to leave, whatever it is. But I've got people to fill right in and you don't have to spend a lot of time marketing and and selling. I, I just think there's a ton of advantages to that cap on a community, which again, I think is really smart. That once you have those people in there and obviously you've attracted great people and I'm sure that's a part of it, but what do you think has been the key to it being successful once they're in it? I think I get a lot of benefit from having the initial experience really good. Like I think if you have a really great initial experience with any product, then it's really going to shape your perception ongoing and you're probably going to give it even more of a shot. So I really wanted to make the onboarding experience of joining really nice. When when people join, um, the first thing they get to do is schedule a one-on-one -on -one call with me. So usually within the first week of joining, they have a 30-minute call with me, which I don't have much of an agenda. Usually mm -hmm. at most, I'll be like, hey, see, you haven't introduced yourself. Can you go ahead and do that when you have a chance? Mm -hmm. But mostly it just becomes like a 30-minute coaching call. And so that's awesome. I get a lot more context about who is in here. I can help them mm -hmm. wayfind through the content. I can help them find people in the community that I think they would gel well with. I think mm -hmm. that the actual onboarding experience from an automation standpoint is pretty good. Helping people get comfortable within the space, helping them understand how to use it well. When people make an introduction to themselves, they generally get a really warm welcome and quickly. So mm -hmm. all along the way, I want people to feel like, wow, this is better than any community I've ever joined. And I think I've done a good job Unfortunately, it's just not that high of a bar because most people don't a really great <laughs> right. job. So yeah, that's true. I think that that does differentiate it and people think this is awesome. And the caliber of people in there is really high. And, and I don't mean yeah. that to say like the scale of creator that everybody is because not everybody's at a really mm -hmm. high scale, but like the caliber of people, people are so kind and generous. You know, everyone's self-interested in some degree, but we don't have people that are just spamming their stuff. We have so right. many people that give more than they get. 
And that's just... And they also want to do it the right way. I always say that like with any creator and whatever you do, like you attract what you put out. You have not attracted people that are looking for scammy ways to trick people into sales and growth hacks and all that other stuff. That's not what this is, which is great. Let me ask you, is there stuff that you were doing in the beginning that or weren't doing in the beginning, like what in terms of creating value within the community, is there anything that you've changed or discovered a year into it? One of the stories that has worked really well or one of the stories I tell a lot is I changed the programming a bit a few months in. In the beginning, I was hosting weekly office hours and it started off good and well attended. Attendance started to wane a little bit over time. And I asked folks, folks, why aren't you coming to office hours anymore? And what I realized was that event, one, it wasn't scarce because it was happening every week. Mm -hmm. Two, it wasn't clear what value I would get out of it as an attendee. I would really have to either have a specific question that I wanted to come and get answered, or I would have to assume that someone's going to ask something that I can learn from. And so it was easy for people to mentally deprioritize it and lighten their calendar a little bit. At the same time, What I found I was getting a lot of feedback, positive feedback on were these hot seats that we do, which are one-on-one coaching calls, actually not super different than the format of your podcast, to be honest. And Mm -hmm. I post the recordings of those hot seats into the community. So not only can people join live and audit that and hang out in the chat, but I post the recordings and I name the recordings with a title that's very descriptive of what we talk about. So it's easy for people to determine, is this applicable to me? Am I, is it worth prioritizing? Mm-hmm. So those were getting a lot of feedback, both from the people who were the hot seat subject, got a lot out of it. And then people watching the recordings were getting a lot out of it too. So I did fewer office hours and started doing more hot seats. And that was a positive change. Other than that, the, the, the experience has been rather consistent because I spent a lot of time planning it ahead of time. And also I had the benefit of the community that I did starting in 2017, working with Pat and running SPI Pro last year. So I've seen a lot of iterations of what community stuff does well and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. How many people did you have at launch? And did you have a number that you were like, if I don't get this many, because that's the tricky thing about community as well, right? Like it can, there's a certain number and yes, you could have a small one and it's fine, but there's... Like, how did you approach when you were launching it? Like, I need this many people or how many did you have when you launched? I think we had 30 by the end of the first month. Okay. And I had I had played around with the spreadsheet. I have a course called Build a Beloved Membership where I share the spreadsheet that I made where I could project mm-hmm. based on pricing, even if I had two-tiered pricing, what mm-hmm. is the what are the numbers that make sense at any level? Like, I guess in, mm-hmm. one, in, in my head, I was like, I need 10 people for me to enjoy doing this in right. the first month. But I also already had so much experience with online community that I knew what I was signing up for. <laughs> and, right, I also, right. and I also thought that it was, it was something that was different and worthwhile. So if, if launch would have gone super poorly, I would have persisted and I would have made it work. Did you sell it before you built it? Like, did you? I didn't pre-sell it. But one thing that I do mm-hmm. believe in is a two-phase membership launch that I call the private opening and then the public launch. So in the Mm -hmm. private opening phase, the community itself exists, but there's no sales page. And I was just dropping breadcrumbs in my email list and on Twitter. And I said, hey, I'm building a community for professional creators. If that sounds like you and you trust me, you can join Sight Unseen for half off for as long as you choose to remain a member. And that's how we got our initial members in there. And at the time, the membership was priced at $9.99 per year. 
at a base level. Mm-hmm. So half off was 500 bucks. So there are yeah. a lot of members who are renewing now at $500 per year. So again, a real yeah. reason why I think retention will be high, that is now 25% the price of what it yeah. costs to join now. I like that approach because it self-selected for people who have high trust and interest in you. And it mm-hmm. also rewards them with the best offer. I haven't yeah. discounted the the membership ever because I want yeah. the people who jumped first to be glad they did so that over time, I'm thinking about the business five years from now, I want people mm-hmm. to know when Jay launches something, that's actually the best time to buy. I shouldn't wait and hold out for some yeah. fire sale later. The best time to buy is immediately. And it's a part of that. Smart. Okay, so let's get to my third question for you. So now I want to talk about people who already have an existing community, whether it's free or paid, whatever. They have a community they're running. They've been doing it for a little while, but maybe they're feeling like it's starting to become stagnant. It's just not living up to their own hopes for it. They're not really sure what to do. It could be stagnant in terms of they're not getting people to sign up for it. Growth has gotten stagnant, or it just could be the community itself is getting quiet and feeling stale. Any suggestions on what they could do to give it a boost or sort of jumpstart it again? I think about this as refresh and reboot. Reboot means that you need to own the fact that things are not going as well as you hoped or that they could be because your community members aren't stupid or unaware. Like they are disengaged because they weren't having a good experience. So there needs to be a moment where you basically make it a thing that things are changing. And so I ask and recommend that you give this another shot. That's the reboot aspect. But Mm -hmm. I add refresh in there because I think you should do something different. So people feel like there's a reason to try again, try something else. The failure that I see a lot of times is people think I have audience, there are community tools, I put the two together, things will magically happen. But they don't actually set expectations for what the experience will be, what they'll get out of it, or even how to successfully engage with the thing, interact with the thing to get the outcome that they want. So refresh is to say, if things aren't going as well as they could be, and I really want to double down and make this a vibrant place. I've talked to a lot of members. I know that most members want to accomplish X. So in order to do that, I'm changing the programming and the experience a little bit. In order to do that, here's what our new live sessions will look like, the new cadence of that. Here's something else we're going to be doing. And here's some other new effort that we're putting in. Yeah. That starts with this first session on April 5th. I hope that mm-hmm. you can put time aside and join us for that. That's that's the process that I would take because you need people to feel like, okay, they recognize that this wasn't great. They're making changes. Mm-hmm. I do want that. So let me try. I know obviously the lab doesn't have that problem. Have you had communities where things slowed down or got stagnant? Have you done outreach to individual members to have, and I know you do now just to get a gauge on their experience, any thoughts about how to frame those conversations, whether it's stagnant or not? And I guess really what I'm asking is like one-on-one conversations with members, like what kind of questions will you ask them to gauge how they're feeling about things, what they're liking, what they're not liking, any of that, any tips there? I think the most important thing is to not make it selfish. And you probably have to reach out outside of the community too. A lot of people will have inactive Mm -hmm. members. They send them a message, usually automated, inside the community and it goes unanswered because they're not active in there. That's the problem in the first place. So you probably have to go outside of the community to email or something and just take interest in the person and what's going on in their lives. They have, in my case, paid to join this space So you would think that they would want to get value out of the thing that they paid for. But, you know, either way, 
you should know something about them from joining. You should reach out and say, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Curious how things are going on your end. Let me know if there's anything I can do to support you. Or if you want to get on a call, I would love to do a 20-minute mm-hmm. catch up with you. It's not, hey, I haven't seen you in the community. Get back in there and do stuff. It's, I haven't seen you, so I don't know what's going on. But I want to know what's going on. I have interest in you. How can how yeah. can I help? Can we can we chat? You'll probably get the insight that you're looking for out of that conversation. Sometimes life just gets busy. Sometimes mm-hmm. there was some other issue. You know, the lab isn't without its issues. As we've gotten to this new member cap, there is a higher velocity of posts in there yeah. on a daily basis, which. For folks who were in in the early days and they were used to fewer posts throughout the day, they might have had more notifications enabled. And now they might turn off notifications because there are so many messages happening in there, which may cause them to forget to join in or miss out on on conversations that they want to be a part of. So I am having some of those conversations now to say like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? And there's always, this this is what I was going back to what we said at the beginning of this, of this conversation. Nothing's ever done. Nothing's ever safe. There's always something trending in the wrong direction that you need to identify right. and, and head off and start moving in the other direction. And I would also imagine along those lines, like it's funny, it's very similar to, it's, it's different, but it's very similar to the network effects with like social media platforms. Just like with social platforms where it's like it can grow, quote unquote, grow really fast because, oh, I'm using TikTok because everyone's using TikTok or whatever, or even more so like Facebook early days and that kind of stuff. But it can also spin the other way yep. where once people stop using it, well, then I'm no one's on MySpace anymore. Like I'm bailing, like that kind of thing. And I think with community, it's, it's very similar. The momentum is going in a certain way and people are like, this community is really helpful and everyone's posting. And when I ask a question, I get feedback and answers from a million different people. But if that starts to spin the other way, it can probably unravel just as quickly. Totally. Where it's like, I posted a couple of questions and nobody responded and I got no feedback. I'm not posting questions there anymore. And now it gets quieter and quieter. And I think understanding that dynamic of the snowball is going to roll one way or the other. And and to your point with it never being done, it's always rolling one way or the other. And the question is, which way is it rolling and how do you keep it rolling in the direction that you want? It is is the hardest thing. It's what keeps me up at night because it will go in the other direction. There are negative network effects. It's tough. The other thing that came to that I hadn't thought of when I was asking the question, but it came to my mind as you were talking about it. And I don't remember where she said it or where I saw it. Maybe she actually maybe it was in a podcast, but Wes Cow, who's had worked with Seth Godin's all MBA and now works for Maven, I think really smart. She was working and had some community that this had happened, like things were getting quiet, things were getting stagnant. And I think she cut back on sort of the number of posts and prompts that were going up each day. As the group moderator or whatever she was, she's like, I'm gonna put one prompt. And she reached out individually, I think to like her 10 or 15 or 20, like most engaged people. And literally would ask them, hey, I'm posting this tomorrow. She'd ask really simple stuff that everyone had an opinion on to jumpstart engagement. So she might ask like a question. I don't remember what the community's niche was, but she might ask something about like, what's the best book you recommend to do X, Y, and Z? And she would individually reach out to 10 or 15 of those people and say, hey, I'm posting this tomorrow. It'd be great if you could just go and comment and, and say whatever. And again, the network effect, what would happen is, so those 10 or 15 people that she reached out to would do it. And suddenly everybody else started replying. And she did that, I think, for a few weeks, day by day. 
And it changed the sort of behavior of the group because now people saw this as an active group. And it was literally, she went hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. of like, let me get some people to start doing this because everyone else is going to model that behavior. Yeah. And streamlined it and bit by bit, to your point, rebooted the engagement in the community, which I thought was really, really smart. And But also to your point, again, bringing it full circle, like, that takes effort and work and time to literally manually be like, all right, we're going to get this back off. You know, it's not just going to happen. They're not going to magically start engaging after they've stopped. So Jay, this was awesome. Any one last thing that you would want to share to people, things that when other people ask you about memberships or talk to you, is there anything like huge misconceptions or no one ever asked me this or this, you know, anything else you want to throw in here at the end, some, some bit of wisdom? Yeah, I think a lot of people when they're thinking about starting a membership, they ask me, how much time are you putting into this? And that's a good question, but it's also really incomplete and misleading, in my opinion. And I think this is the reason that a lot of communities have this very slow snowballs moving in the wrong direction and, and, and death happens. It's because it's not about the amount of time. Like if you think about why members join the thing and the job they're hiring your community to do, generally when they put the effort in to make a post, they are hoping for a gratifying experience to that act. They want they wanted to feel like that was worthwhile. It's not just about getting an answer to it. It's about getting a timely answer to it. And so I think one of the reasons the lab has had progressively a better and better experience is because, to be honest, I am so tapped in that for a very long time, I was responding to every single post, usually within minutes. And so, yeah. like, it's not about the cumulative number of hours that I put in. It's how hardwired into the system I was to know when there was something that could use a timely response. That was the magical experience for so many people is, wow, not only did I get great feedback, it was so fast. So why would I go and put that effort into posting elsewhere on some other platform or even Twitter or anywhere else? Like mm-hmm. this is where I get the fastest, highest quality help for yeah. this, this thing. So I'm not saying that you have to be quite as psychotic as I was in the beginning, but you but know, it helps. It helps. It really, really does. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, it's it's people like timeliness. So the more timely you or someone on your team or you can get the community to be, because if you model that behavior, then eventually the community stays pretty tapped yep. in and helps too. But yeah, the more timely you can be, the better the the member experience. You, you just, you genuinely have to care about it, right? Totally. Oh, yeah. And I think that's not just, I talk about this with all sorts of stuff, but it's true of memberships too, right? You can't just want the results. You have to be as excited about the work, even if it's hard, right? You have to be as excited about the work as you are about the results. And you clearly care about it. And I think all the people you've attracted and in that in the lab care about it. And it just makes it, it makes a huge difference. So yeah, again, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I'm glad I'm not on the waiting list. So yeah, thanks again. This was really great. And I'm sure everyone's going to find this super valuable. Tell people where they can follow you, connect with you, all that stuff. I am Jay Klaus on social media. You can get the newsletter at creatorscience.com. If you're building your own membership community, I recommend the course I built called Build a Beloved Membership. You can find that at belovedmembership.com. And for me, my newsletter, fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. I mentioned my skill sessions before. Those are video workshops where I teach you how to do something specific. You can check those out at joshspector.com slash sessions. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. 
And if you would like to come on this podcast and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply. And as long as you have good stuff to ask me, I'll be happy to put you on. Thanks again, Jay. Thanks everyone for listening. I will see you next week. Thanks.